It's cool to have, um, when I first came here 15 years ago, I was talking to Paul Vela a little bit beforehand, and uh, Paul was a ninth grader, and now he's working with middle schoolers, and I was like, dude, I have a middle schooler now. My daughter, my oldest is um, in sixth grade, so it's really wild, wild to be here. Um, for uh, just before we jump into this, uh, this series on pillars of the faith, free, I want to quick get out of the way some frequently asked questions, okay? So it's, this has been two years since I've been here and preached, and so just frequently asked questions that I get that I want to uh, just get out of the way before we preach, so you can kind of have a little bit of an update too. So frequently asked question number one is, dude, what's up with the white glasses? And uh, I, full disclosure, one morning I, I had my normal glasses on the couch and Julie came out and I was excited to see her in the morning. I was like, come sit by me. And I forgot I put my glasses there and she came and she sat on them. And so I needed them and I went to the optometrist and I needed lenses or I needed frames right away. And they said, the only ones that work are these white ones. And I thought they were super cool. And I texted a picture to Julie. I said, what do you think? She said, don't you dare come home with those. And so I've been wearing them ever since. And then uh, frequently asked question number two is like, so what are you doing? What are you doing? And uh, so a few years ago, one of the things I'll share a little bit about this morning too was kind of this stirring going on inside me. The river was uh, home to me and my family for uh, 13 and a half years. And as part of, in part of my growth and development, uh, God was like stirring stuff in me that I didn't totally understand, and maybe you've had moments like that too in your life. Uh, I've come to understand a little bit more now what that is. It's called a transition, and transitions are, are difficult and sometimes very unknown. And, but one of the things God was stirring in me was this hunger to be uh, in our community more, working with a variety of organizations. And so um, I actually, the river in October 2016... The elders said, uh, hey, you have to rewrite your job description because Classis, which is our regional body, is asking you to do that, and you haven't been doing that. Why aren't you doing that? And so I rewrote a job description, and I submitted it for, to be a pastor of community development at the river. And that, the night before the council meeting in 2016, I woke up. I think I've shared this story before with some of you, but it was 3.33 in the morning, which I'm like a big, you know, 333, that must mean something. God is a trinity. 333, right? Maybe you wouldn't think that, but I did. And I went to my kitchen, and I was pacing around, and I'm like, God, I, I handed in this job description, but it doesn't really feel like this is where I'm supposed to be, like where you're calling me to be, like in this role at this, in the, at this church. I just don't know. And I saw kind of in my head like this structure, and I saw this thing, which I assumed was me kind of going like, shh out from under this structure and into this more like wild space. And I was like, okay, I think you're saying like, God, you're not calling me to be under this particular structure right now that this season of my life, but what am I going to do? And then the Lord said, go seek my kingdom and my righteousness and I'll take care of everything else. So uh, I started doing that. I spent about 18 months just wherever I, I saw what I thought to be God's kingdom uh, the economy of God in the world at work. I, I went and I listened and I learned and I joined people there. And the people that I, I was most called to, that I felt most compelled to journey with, were what I understood to be the helpers uh, or people who had kind of like staked it all, staked their life on the claim that God was real and at work in the, in the world. 
And a lot, of, a lot of them ended up being like missionary type folks who had some sort of creative venture. So I work now uh, by, I was trained through our denomination, the CRC, to coach leaders, and I got my master's in leadership development. And so I work with missional leaders in this region, uh, coaching, doing some consulting with them, and walking alongside of them. Uh, because what happens when our leaders are unhealthy, the things they're leading are unhealthy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, when our leaders are unhealthy, then the things they're leading become unhealthy. And so I was, I've always been passionate about the mission of God and wanted to see healthy missional leaders. And so that's what I do now. And uh, two months ago, I started a group called Momentum. There's uh, 15 missional leaders, four church planners, six people that work with kids, and then five people that just started something really creative they felt called to start a particular niche ministry. And I sit with each of them each month, and we have a big meeting uh, where we encourage one another every month. And uh, it's been a really beautiful space for me to be in. So thank you for asking that. And the third frequently asked question was, oh, is, so what do you do now with your family? Where do you guys worship? And so uh, we, I had some friends that were like, oh, you should start like a little home thing. So we did one week where, as a family, we did something, and I was like, this is terrible. Um, I don't want to do this. So then we started attending a little church. It was like 40 people at the University of Redlands, which was in our neighborhood. We started attending there. We could just walk over there. And then they ended up moving down uh, there on the Lord's Corner. So we're down um, on the Holy Corner in the middle of Redlands on Sunday morning. So uh, I'm still a CRC pastor. I work with our classes leaders uh, we have 24 churches in our classes, which is our region, and that's been a really neat thing. This afternoon, I get to go install a guy, uh, that, that install a guy, <laughs> that's like an air conditioning term. It's like uh, there's a new pastor at a church in Fullerton, and so he's 35, and I've been walking with him and mentoring him, and so this afternoon is his installation. So I still get to do things like that and feel very connected within the CRC as a part of our vision team. So thanks for asking that, too. Um, anyways... If you have other questions, feel free to email me or shout them out in the middle of the service. I love the interaction. So we're in this, this thing called Pillars of the Faith, this series. And uh, one of the things that I love is how all of these people are just super normal. They're like just normal men and women. There's nothing so special, right? I mean, we think of them now as like these amazing pillars, but really pillars are just people that take the next step. And then they take the next one after that, and they take the next one after that, and the next one after that. Growing up, I did concrete work with my dad, and I've been doing a little bit of that in the last year or two just to try to make everything work out. And um, one of the things about if you actually do concrete and you form a pillar, uh, there's a lot of like just little, million little things that have to happen before you create a pillar, right? You got to shovel out all sorts of sand, and then you got to set up a form, and then you got to pour rock after particle of sand after piece of water, and it's just these little tiny things stacked on, on top of each other. And then with, with, enough, with enough time, that pillar uh, becomes hard and gains strength and becomes something other things can, can lean on. And so all of these pillars of the faith that you've been studying, and the one we're going to look at today, Jeremiah, they're just normal people. They're like the people in your pew right next to you. Why don't you point to the person next to you and say, you can be a pillar of the faith. 
Mike, you didn't say it, dude. You got to, like, really, I'm serious. You got to, like, you can be a pillar of the faith. Uh, the kids that were up here, you know, um, Jost, did you say it to Kenzie? You could be a pillar of the faith. Yes, yes. And that's sort of like an epic invitation to all of us to become something like a pillar of the faith. One of the things that's just captured my imagination is like, what would it look like to follow God with everything I got? What would it look like to live, you might want to say something like, authentically true to what my best understanding of who God was inviting me to be? What in the world would happen if I did that for a day and then for a week and then for like a month and then a year and then five years and then 10 years and then 20 years? How would your life look different if each morning you you sort of gave space for the Spirit to search you and then you listened and went, Lord, I, I want to do and go and be who you're inviting me to, to, to be. The prophet Jeremiah, if you look at chapter 1, had this amazing destiny word spoken over him. In chapter 1, it says this, verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me. That's Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Check that out. Before Jeremiah even stepped onto the planet, God had an idea about who he was going to become, about who he might become. God designed him with an intention. Lean to the person next to you and say, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So what does that mean? That means that God has a purpose for your life. We call that it's a fancy word that starts with D and that some band created destiny. Destiny's child. Harold likes the moonwalk. Destiny, right? God created you, designed you with a destiny, with a purpose in mind. Your life is not an accident, but you have a purpose. What do you say to Jeremiah? Hey, dude, before you even stepped on the planet, you weren't even born yet, and I had a plan for your life. Man, that can be really an encouraging thing. Jacob DeWeird, sixth grade. Sometimes it gets hard in sixth grade. It can be difficult to know, like, God, why did you, why did you make me this way? I used to get in trouble, man. All, all my report cards, I, my kids get report cards, and they, they come back pretty good nowadays, except for my son. <laughs> He's got the same thing as his dad. What? <laughs> My report card used to come back and like, Nick is great. He just doesn't know when to be quiet. Right. I'd be like, God, amen, amen. God, why did you make me this way? I just love to talk. Why did you make me this way? I don't understand it. Well, maybe God could use you then to talk with people, right? Maybe you're asking that question. God, why did you make me this way? And the scripture says, he's got a destiny for your life. Your life is going somewhere. And if you follow him and if you trust him, He's going to lead you to that place, and it's going to be the most incredible and beautiful and challenging invitation and call of your life. And this is sort of the call to adventure, and we've all experienced that in our lives, this invitation to the adventure with Jesus. And maybe this morning you're at a place where you're in like a rough spot, and Jesus is just one more time saying, hey, bud, it's okay. Just trust me in the next step. I got you here, Jacobs. I got you here. I'll get you there. Keep trusting me. 
So God's got a purpose and a plan for Jeremiah, and so he knows it. And this is, what is a, this is what his purpose for Jeremiah is. This doesn't mean it's what his purpose for you is, but this is what he said to Jeremiah. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Man, when God gives you a destiny, when he gives you a, a, a role, you probably are looking at it and going like, you must be out of your mind. A prophet to the nations? Look at what Jeremiah says right after that. <laughs> uh, Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. And so when God gives us a destiny, and I love that the kids are in here today, when God gives you a calling, you're probably going to look and go like, you must be out of your mind. You must be out of your mind. So, but Jeremiah heeds it. He heeds God's call in his life, and then he does a couple things uh, in, the, in the upcoming uh, chapter. He listens for what God is saying, and God says, I appoint you over the nations to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, what do you see, Jeremiah? And so God gives Jeremiah a few little tests. Jeremiah tells him what he sees, and God says, yeah, you're right. You, tr- you, you got me. You're hearing me right. Now go do it. So he does. And the book of Jeremiah is um, a recording from this guy, a friend of his named Baruch. Everybody say Baruch. I wish I had a friend named Baruch. Um, And Baruch writes it down. But it's like 20 years worth of sermons that Jeremiah has given to the people of Israel. He starts off not by going to the nations and in front of rulers. Where do you think he starts off? Real small, his hometown. So in chapter 11, if you go to chapter 11, the end of chapter 11, Jeremiah is in this little place called Anathoth. Lean to the person next to you and say, I'm glad I'm not from Anathoth. Redlands is real cool. Man, Redlands. Radlands, right? Man, Anathoth. Can't even say it. It sounds like something out of Star Wars. He's from Anathoth. And he goes to the people of Anathoth and he tells them what's up. And his message, the message of a prophet, a truth teller, is to tell people what's up. A prophet isn't necessarily someone who's predicting the future. They're speaking truth to God's people. And a lot of times they're convicting people of sin because they want people to live in union with God. So Jeremiah says to the dudes in Anathoth, hey man, stop playing religious games. He says, stop, stop going to church to do your thing and, and playing and pretending like you're following God. You're not following God. You're just following things that work out for you. And he goes to these guys and they're like, hey, um, you're the worst. You're the worst, Jeremiah. We don't, we're not down with that message. And this is the interesting thing about the truth. When we get confronted with it in our own lives, there's two reactions we can have. And I see this all the time because I got a little, a little guy who, um, he's getting pretty good already at like playing the game where I'll be like, hey, did, did you take two pieces of candy? You, we said you could take one piece of candy. Did you take two? Savannah knows this. And he'll be like, no, I didn't. And I'll be like, I already know you did because I saw two rappers over there. Did you take two? No, no, no. I didn't, Dad. I didn't. I know you did, bud. Now I've got to put you in a little bit of a timeout because you're lying. I did it. Okay, I did. I did it. I did it. I took two. I'm sorry. I wish it was that easy, right? But 
But when we're confronted with the truth, we, got two, we have like two opportunities. We either go like, yes, it's true. God, I haven't followed you with my whole heart. Forgive me. And what do we call that? Anybody? Repentance. Right? You were going to say that, Luke? You're going to say that? When, when your mom or dad, and they, they catch you doing something, and you're, you know you weren't supposed to be doing it, because inside, inside you're like, man, I took this marker, and I saw the wall, and it looked like a canvas. And I knew I shouldn't draw on the wall. And it, inside, there was something that said, don't draw on the wall. But I thought, it's so open. And I did it anyway with Sharpie. Right? He, sorry, I'm, try, I'm giving him ideas now. He's look, I see it in his eyes. He's like, that's a brilliant idea, Nick. There's a lot of... What? It's okay. <laughs> when your mom and dad say, don't go to the store by yourself, but you did... I feel like there's a story here, Luke. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. When mom and dad say, don't go to the store by yourself, and you do, right? It's dangerous. Yeah. One, you don't really know how to get to the store probably from your house. Two, there's like a lot of streets you have to cross. It's dangerous, right? But that's the whole point. God gives us instructions. He gives us commands. He gives us direction. He tells us what to do because he knows what the end is for us, right? He knows our destiny. He knows what's good for us. And when he says, hey man, don't cross the street. Don't go to the store by yourself, right? And we do, it creates all sort of havoc. So the truth, Jeremiah is a truth teller, and he's confronting people with the truth because he knows what's best for Israel. And God's intention for Israel isn't that they'd be some um, insignificant people. It's that they would reflect his, his character and his nature. They would reflect something of the creativity and the imagination and the generosity and the kindness and the goodness of God. And that's God's intention for us as well. And the idea of obedience is not because it's supposed to be some awful, awful thing like that we just are like martyrs for God or something. It's like God knows where our life is headed and he's a million steps ahead of us and inviting us to take the next one. Does it make sense? So Jeremiah does this and he tells the people the truth and they're angry and they're like, dude, I don't like what you're saying because it goes against what I want. And so they, instead, of, instead of engaging in self-reflection, they reject Jeremiah, and they get mad at him. So then Jeremiah chapter 12, here's where we're going to, I guess we're not really starting anymore, but this is where we're going to go now. Jeremiah 12, verse 1. You see what it says in the NIV? It says Jeremiah's complaint. Because he went to Anathoth, the, the little town, his tribesmen, and he told them what's up, and they rejected his message. And he's like this, you're always right, O oh Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet, I would speak with you about your justice. Why does, the, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You planted them, and they took root. They grow, and they bear fruit. 
You're always on their lips, but you're far from their hearts. And yet you know me, O Lord. You see me, and you test my thoughts about you. And now he's like a little mad, right? This is one of those mad poem prayer things. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. Because this is what happens when, when they follow all their own desires and not God's. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he's not going to see what happens to us. And then I'll read verse 5 in a second, but just so you're clear on what Jeremiah is saying, he's saying this, God, none of those people care about you. They don't follow you. They just talk a little bit about you from time to time, but their heart is like far from you, and yet it seems like their life is awesome. They don't, they don't listen to you. They don't obey your command. They go to the store whenever they want even though their mom and dad told them no. They do it whenever they want, and they buy whatever they want at the store. And they come back, and they got all the candy. They got all the, you know, pop. They're drinking monsters. Man, God, that ain't fair. It's not fair. You ever say that? That's what Jeremiah is saying right now. He's like, God, it's not fair. I'm doing what you told me to do, which was be a mouthpiece for you and tell people what's up and tell them the truth. And these guys just rejected me. They don't care about you, and, but everything they're doing seems to be working for them. What's going on? Raise your hand if you've ever had a moment like that. You look around at everybody else's life. You, <laughs> you go on Instagram, and it's like, they're like, hey, and they're like, you know, whatever, some awesome place with millions of people loving what they're doing. And you're like, but they're a chump. They're a chump. They're just trying to do their own thing. They're not following God, and yet it seems like their, their life is like they're crushing it. You know what I'm saying? You ever have these moments? Yeah. So, this is what God says to Jeremiah. You'd expect him to be like, hey man, it's, come on man. Come on, Jeremiah. We got this. Here's what he says. I love this. Sometimes maybe God gives you a hard word from time to time. This is what he says. Hey, Jeremiah, if you race with men on foot and they wore you out, how can you compete with horses? Whew. If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? One more time. Jeremiah, if you raced with men on foot, and they've worn you out. Underline this in your Bible. How can you compete with horses? If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Translation. Hey, dude, if you're tripping when things are easy, what's going to happen when it gets tough? Uh, where's your faith going to be at when things get a little bit difficult? If you're tripping when things are easy, where are you going to be at when things get really hard, when the battle really rages? What's going to happen then? This is the interesting thing about this for me a couple years ago. I had a season where, uh, where God was speaking to me through horses. Our staff knows this. That's super weird. 
I hadn't experienced something like this before. I didn't really know what was going on. But um, I kept seeing horses everywhere. By the way, you're, you're, you may have very low opinion of me. After this, it may be even lower. Uh, but God was speaking to me. And I kept seeing horses everywhere on my sabbatical in 2016. Uh, it was weird. And I don't know if things like this happen because you're looking for them, like when you sprain your ankle and all of a sudden you recognize it seems like everybody has their ankle sprained. I'm not sure if that's what it is, where all of a sudden you become more aware of like horses and then everywhere I'm seeing horses. I don't know. But God was using all these memories of horses and then I was finding books. My, at one point I'm standing in, next to my cousin. She hands me a book called It's Not About the Horse that she got at this garage sale about horse therapy. I'm walking in Redlands up here on the telephone talking to one of our uh, pastors. And as I'm walking, all of a sudden I turn the corner and there's a horse looking right at me. His name is um, Buddy, Buddy the horse. I've gotten to know him over the last couple years. I'm at ACA talking to a pastor from L.A., and I'm walking in the field, the soccer field at ACA, and all of a sudden there's a fence right there, and all of a sudden there's a horse right there looking at me. I'm like, what in the world's going on? So I took our staff on a retreat, our children's staff, and we went horseback riding, and um, and while, as I'm telling a friend of mine this, I don't know what God's trying to tell me, but I'm seeing horses everywhere, like horses keep popping up. I go to Miss Alonzo's house uh, back there. Alicia Alonzo invited me and my family over for dinner, and she lives in a, on a, uh, a horse ranch. And so it's just bizarre, you guys. It's super bizarre, okay? And I'm listening. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? What is this? And a friend of mine sends me this book by Eugene Peterson called Run With Horses. And it was weird because a few months before I'd stepped out of the shower and something came to me and it was, if you ran with men and grew tired, then how are you going to run with horses? And I was like, what is that? So I Googled it. I thought maybe it was a poem or something. I Googled it and it turned out it's from Jeremiah. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then my buddy sends me this book called Run With Horses about the prophet Jeremiah and the day I open this book to start reading it, it's 10.30 at night, I'm in my bed, and my good friend Mario Perez sends me a text, and it's a picture with me on a horse. He knows nothing. I haven't shared with him anything about what God is doing in my life, and I'm on this horse very uncomfortably, and way too big a man to be on a little horse in Norco, and God, he sends me this picture so this is kind of like something that's pretty precious to me, this idea uh, that God would wake us up in whatever ways he needs to wake us up, even using strange animal stuff. But for me, the idea of running with horses became synonymous with what Eugene Peter said, Peterson said, which is the quest for life at its best. Here's what he said. Uh, skip to that next slide, Terry. God doesn't want tame pets to fondle and feed. He wants mature, free people who will respond to him in authentic individuality. For that to happen, there must be honesty and truth. The self must be toppled from its pedestal. There must be pure hearts and clear intelligence, confession of sin, and commitment and faith. And so the prophet Jeremiah, for me, became somebody who embodied this, this radical pursuit of God at whatever, cost, whatever the cost. Jeremiah was a little bit crazy. In Jeremiah 13, God tells him, go buy a belt, which some people say, think was like an undergarment, which is basically like a pair of underwear. Go buy some chonies. 
And so he does, and then he says, put him on. And he puts him on, and he says, now walk out to the hills. And he walks out to the hills, and God says, bury him in a rock. And he buries him in a rock. And then sometime later, God says, now go back and get the chonies or the belt or whatever that thing was, right, the undergarment. And he goes and he gets it, and he says, take it back and show it to the people and tell them this is what they're like. This is what they're like. They're no longer worth anything because they stopped following me. They lost all the life and the vitality, the purpose for which I designed them. They no longer hold up any clothes. They stopped following me. They started following their own desire, their own whims, their own ideas. And Jeremiah called the people out and said, hey, this is, sorry, this is what God told me to do is show you a bunch of chonies and tell you you better start following him. And they didn't like it. And so he got like thrown into holes and things. And it wasn't because he was some great superhero. It was just because he did the next thing that God told him to do. In the scripture, there's something called the little big principle. And the little big principle is just this. When you're faithful in small things, God, God like expands. He expands your influence. If you're faithful in little things, the idea is God will entrust you with more. Jesus says it like four times in the Gospels. Uh, there's this story where uh, we're faithful in little things, right? The parable of the talents. We're faithful in little things. God entrusts us with more because he goes, I know I can trust that person. And so when God comes to Jeremiah and says, hey man, stop tripping. If you can't handle this with the men of Anathoth, then how are you going to speak in front of kings? How are you going to speak to the nations? If in this little thing that I've put in front of you, you're not faithful, then how can I know I can trust you when I give you a word to tell like, the king of Israel. And so Jeremiah kind of hears it, heeds that word from the Lord, and recognizes that God's after his faithfulness, his obedience, his next step. I love this. I think this is so beautiful for, for each of us here this morning, too, that it's not necessarily about doing some heroic, amazing thing. It's just about doing the next thing the next relationship, the next thing we need to reconcile, the next person we need to talk to, the next coworker we need to encourage, the next step the Lord's inviting us to take, we take, take that with faith. That's what actually what faith is. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. It's, there's, nothing, there's nothing guaranteed in life, other than I think when we follow God, we, we take one step closer to the destiny that he's, that he's inviting us into. Another way to think of this is as alignment. We become more and more aligned with God's will, more and more aligned with God's purpose for our lives. I like this quote by Jung. You got to throw a little Jung in there. Carl Jung, this Swiss psychoanalyst. Is that right? Nicole, yeah. He said, no tree can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell. Sort of this idea that as we pursue God, as we take a step further in obedience with him and faithfulness with him, as we say yes to the next thing, the thing today that God is inviting us to do, as we listen and discern, as we make sense of what his spirit is whispering, and we do that thing with faith and obedience, there's challenge that comes. And that's what God's saying to Jeremiah in this moment. is like, dude, what did you expect when you say yes to what I'm telling you to do, which is to be a prophet to the nations? It's going to come at a cost. The cost is the people that you were 
supposed to be speaking with, like, they may reject you. You've got to be okay with that. And so Jeremiah's obedience and faithfulness brings about, uh, well, a greater fruit in the nation. One of the things that I love is when people quote Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you know this verse? It starts like this, For I know the plans for you, declares the Lord. It's a really beautiful text. God says, I know the plan and purpose I have for you. He's talking to the nation of Israel. And the only problem with just reading Jeremiah 29.11 is that we miss out on Jeremiah 29.10, which is where God tells them, by the way, for 70 years, your life is going to absolutely suck. That's what he says. That's how I interpret it. Jeremiah 29.10, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Four, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. So God says, hey, you're going to go into exile through Jeremiah. Jeremiah tells the people things are going to get really, really, really bad. You're going to get dragged out of here. You're going to get dragged out of your homes. Not all of you are going to make it. But after 70 years of that, God will reestablish you. And so in Jeremiah's faithfulness, he brings this message that things are going to get tough and they're going to get challenging, but God will ultimately be with you. God will be with you in the struggle. He'll be there in the trial. And ultimately his plan is to fulfill his destiny for you as a people. So what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with you and me? Um, for me, I love considering this question. Uh, this is kind of where I, I have in our notes. What's a small step that has God invited me to take or a small thing that he he's inviting me to practice faithfulness in? I did, spoke at a chapel at my old high school a few weeks ago. And one of the things that I have come to believe is that God is always speaking to us that the truth of your next step in your journey with God is already present in your life. You already know. You already know the next step. You already know what obedience looks like in this moment. This is what coaching is. This is the tool that we bring into relationships with missionary leaders in this region, is I come into a relationship to say to them, I know that God is already speaking to you and working in your life. Let's kind of unpack what that might be and what your next step is to follow him faithfully. And so we ask this question, what's going on in your life right now? What's happening? Um, where do you discern the Spirit at work in you, in your family, in your relationships, in your, in your work, in your ministry? Where do you sense God at work in your neighborhood? Where's the place right now where you're feeling sort of like a draw? And it may be something really, really insignificant. It might seem like something completely irrelevant. That there's a neighbor that you sense, I, I'm supposed to bring a meal to them. I don't know why. I just, I, I have to do this thing. That there's a conversation that I need to have with somebody from my past. That there's a place I need to revisit. That the Spirit is actually at work in each of our lives and in our communities. Had a conversation with this guy this, this week with a guy from Cambodia, and he's a missionary in Cambodia. And he says one of the things that they've been doing with groups is they take these groups through a spiritual discernment process as a group. They say to the group, God has designed your community to be a blessing to the, to the world. 
God has designed your organization with a purpose. Do you know what that is? Do you have a clear sense right now where the Spirit is inviting you to take the next step of faith, of faithfulness? A super cool thing is that we have an amazing model, somebody who did this perfectly, and we can learn from him by looking at his life and how he did this, and that's Jesus. And this is why the early church just sang the song of, of uh, gratitude and thanksgiving to Jesus. They, they sang songs of like, look at what Jesus did. Look at the obedience, Philippians 2.8. He lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of that, worst kind of death, a crucifixion. Um, but then there's this line too, in Philippians 2.8, if you've got your Bible, it says this, and I want to close with this before we come to the Lord's table. Philippians 2.8. It says this. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that's the level of obedience that Jesus had. He heeded the Spirit. He heeded what God was doing. He said yes. He said yes to the thing God was inviting him to. And then this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, it's a huge honor to be here with you this morning to talk about a few of the things that God has been doing. Um, but mostly, I just I love being a part of this family, the family of God. A few weeks ago, I spoke and did a chapel at RCS, and I forgot that they asked me to write the intro. Uh, when you come to a place like what Jill did, and she said, hey, this is Nick, he's whatever, let's welcome him. They did that RCS, and this, this little girl, I don't remember who it was, do you remember Jose? She's a fifth grader. She got up and she said, Nick Inhout is a friend of Jesus. And I cracked, I broke. I was like, dude, that's it, that's it, that's what I, that's what I want in my life, that's how I want to come into the next life. I want a little kid to go to the people that were there ahead of me and say, hey, y'all, this is your homeboy, Nick and Hout. He's a friend of Jesus. And I just wept. I went up. My glasses were all wet. This little kid was like, what's going on with you, dude? Like, we just haven't even started yet. But, but her words, Nick and Hout, he's a friend of Jesus. We come to the table, and the invitation is, man, come be a friend of Jesus the one who heeded the Spirit perfectly. He just did it. God invited him to take the next step, and he did it. And he'd wipe mud on people's face because God told him to. And he'd call this guy or that woman or that person to come follow him because God told him to. And he went up on mountains to listen and discern what is God saying. And he'd come back down and he would do it because the Lord told him to. And and we get to be his friend. And we get to learn from him. And we get to follow him in his uh, obedient path unto death. 
So as you come to the table this morning, I just want to put that question in front of you. As you celebrate Jesus, the one who walked it perfectly, the one who walked like Jeremiah, he just kept going, he kept taking the next little step, the next little step, the next little step. What's the little step this morning the Spirit is inviting you to take? Maybe it's to extend forgiveness. Maybe it's to to invite somebody into your life a little more deeply. Maybe it's to write a note of encouragement. Maybe it's to let something go. Maybe it's to, to, you're coming, like I was a few years ago, into a place of greater and greater energy and clarity and, and desire to follow God's call, and you just, you, need, you know you need to go for it. And God's saying, come go for it. Keep going for it. Maybe there's a student that you're teaching that you want to just like, you're struggling with and you need to hand them over to God again this morning. Whatever that is, whatever that looks like. As we come to the table this morning, I would invite you to just reflect on that and take that next step. Like Jeremiah, hear those words from the Spirit. Hey, don't get tired running with footmen. I created you to run with horses. Don't get tired when the walk is easy. There's bushes by the, there's thickets by the Jordan that I'm going to get you through. I want to invite the elders up. They're going to distribute the elements and the worship team up. And I want to offer a prayer as they're doing that. Again, this is just an opportunity to reflect on Jesus' obedience. So will you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you. Thanks that in Jesus you walked the path perfectly for us and then invited us to come follow you in it. Thanks that in you there is life, the life of lives, life as it's intended to be. Thanks that you invited us to run with horses. Thank you that your love for us is, um, invites us to, to go deeper. It's not always safe, but it is safe. It doesn't always feel great. But God, your provision for us is amazing, and so we celebrate that this morning. Thanks for my friends here. Thanks for your friends here this morning. Lord, we pray that you would just bring to our attention those places in our life where you're inviting us to follow you more and more deeply, more and more wholeheartedly. We thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.